Hey, this is Chris Jericho here, lead singer of Fozzy, uh, Le Champion of AEW, all-around great guy and friend, confidant, influence, and hero uh, to Joey Casada. So Joey Casada asked me to do the audio forward for this audio book, uh, Start With a Dream. Now, thankfully, uh, it's on audio because it's a big book. It's very heavy. Uh, you could use it as a weapon. You could use it uh, to cause somebody some blunt force trauma. Uh, you could use it to stand on if you're taking a picture with some NBA players and you want to be similar height. I mean, this is a big book. I think it's about uh, 847 pages or something along those lines. So now you actually get to just listen to the book. Listen to Joey's very soothing, slightly annoying uh, New York accent. Uh, stumble and bumble through tales of his life. Now, the thing is, Joey Casada is what you would call a journeyman musician. He is a tremendous drummer that's been playing for a lot of different bands over the years, uh, from ZO2 to the Eric Martin Band to Rubik's Cube to uh, being on Broadway for years. Uh, now he plays with Steve O'Jerry, former Journey uh, singer. There you go, the journeyman is playing with the journey singer. See what he did there? Um, it's a guy who's never out of work, but has never found the permanent position that he's always been looking for. And that's why this book is so entertaining and so exciting because it's coming from somebody in the trenches. This is not a, a book from a huge, huge star like you know the Elton John book that just came out or reading Paul Stanley's book, et cetera, et cetera. This is a guy who's never been the star of the show, but he's always been a part of the show. So it's a very interesting read from that side of the coin. What's it like to be uh, playing the clubs and then having record deals signed and taken away from you? Being on a, a, a national network TV show uh, like he was the Z-Rock and seeing kind of the fame uh, and, and the fleeting fame from, from, from being, uh, like I said, the star of a television show. Uh, of course, playing on Broadway and then touring with Kiss. Super jealous. I've been in Fozzie for 20 years. We did the Kiss Cruise, but we never toured with Kiss. Uh, we never played wiffle ball with Kiss like like uh, like uh, Joey did with 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 his guys in, in ZO2. So once again, it's a great great read. So it's going to make an even better listen. Um, I think you could probably uh, on your on your dial when you go onto the menu and you can turn up the treble or turn down the bass. You know. Go to the New York accent uh, setting and turn that down a bit because it's super, super thick. Yo, how you doing? I'm Joey Casada. Bang, boom, bing, bang, boom. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyways, Joey's a great guy. Proud to call him a friend and uh, proud of him for writing a book because it's not easy, as I know. Uh, I had four uh, New York Times bestsellers, but he was number one on iTunes in the uh, drummers from Brooklyn with big noses section. So congratulations to him for that. Uh, enough of my yakking. Let's get into the life and times and the uh, sauce, the spaghetti sauce uh, uh, known as uh, the Joey Casada story. Sit back, relax, enjoy, and uh, uh, have a great, uh, a great day. And always be thankful that your nose is not as big, nor will ever be as big as Joey's. Take it away, my man. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for those kind, beautiful words, Chris. <laughs> you bastard.
My nose is perfect. Anyway, one of the really fun things I got to include in this audiobook are demos and unreleased songs from all of my bands throughout my career. So sit back and enjoy. And remember, it all starts with a dream. Throughout my life, there have always been moments where everything seems to freeze. And though these moments don't happen often, they usually signify something very special. In fact, when these special moments happen, nothing else in the world seems to matter except for what I am focused on on that exact point in time, which is why I like to call them my frozen moments. I remember standing in the middle of San Antonio's Verizon Wireless Amphitheater and looking up into the night sky. My eyes are met with what looks to be beautiful, colorful raindrops beginning to fall. It was 10.40 p.m. and I could hear massive explosions echoing throughout the night air. Before I knew it, a frozen moment had occurred. Everything falling from the sky began to slow down. And suddenly the world as I knew it came to a halt. The explosions went quiet. The rain became non-existent and it was almost as if the people around me weren't there at all. I could feel my heart starting to beat like a giant bass drum inside my chest. A sudden calmness came over me and I started to look around wondering how I got there. Was this really happening? It seemed as if everything in my life had led up to this exact moment. That colorful rain was confetti being shot over a crowd of 15,000 screaming fans. The explosions were pyrotechnics being concussed on a massive stage, and I began to feel a sense of euphoria knowing that my band, ZO2, was on tour with the legendary rock band, KISS. Standing in the middle of what seemed like an endless sea of fans, I watched KISS play their anthem, Rock and Roll All Night. This was truly one of my best frozen moments. And as I stood there watching, I couldn't help but feel as if everything I'd worked my entire life led me to that exact spot, this exact moment, frozen in time. These moments are so special in my life, I feel like time actually stops and I can live and breathe in that moment for a few brief seconds. I'm so thankful for this gift because over my lifetime, I recognize these moments as events that actually define who I am. These moments give me focus and a drive that helps me to achieve whatever it is I need to accomplish. I'll never forget the first time this happened to me. Chapter 1. The Beginning I was five years old. I don't have many clear memories from when I was a small child, particularly before the age of eight. However, I remembered vividly the day that would turn out to be the one that would shape me and the rest of my life forever. It was July 25th, 1979. My family was en route to the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. I'm not even sure I knew why we were going or what was even happening. My brother Danny seemed very excited, but I was kind of just along for the ride. I was probably most excited about grabbing a hot dog once inside the arena. I was a pretty chubby kid and my favorite food was hot dogs, or as I like to call them, frankfurters. Short for frankfurter, I think. I remember there being many people there, more than I've ever been around before. After all, this was the first time I'd ever been in a big arena or stadium. There seemed to be an excitement in the air. 
almost electricity exuding from all the people walking around. The lines to buy food and t-shirts were 10 people deep. There was an image which I was vaguely familiar with on the t-shirts, but I didn't really have any feelings about it. Like I said earlier, I was most excited for my hot dog. Once we finally made our way through the concession stands and I received my jumbo hot dog, I thought my night was over. I was as happy as a five-year-old chubby boy could be. We could now leave and go home whenever my family was ready. We entered the arena through a small black curtain and I couldn't believe my eyes. It looked like the biggest place in the whole world. I couldn't understand how a place this big could even be built or why. The electricity I was feeling in the hallways was magnified a hundred times over. We took our seats and I waited to see what would happen next. By then, I was just about finished with my hot dog and I could start to focus on other things. What was that giant stage for? What were those enormous speakers hanging from the ceiling? Why was everyone cheering and seemingly preparing for something to happen? I didn't understand, but I started to feel excited myself. The lights went out and the crowd of what seemed to me like a million people erupted into cheers. Everyone stood. It was hard for me to see, but I managed to find an opening and anxiously watched the giant stage to see what would happen next. A loud voice began to scream. I was hit with a wave of sound that crashed through my body. I saw what looked to be superheroes on the stage playing instruments. One was dancing and screaming into a microphone, and one looked like an alien from outer space. One was scary and looked like a monster or a demon, but the one that I was most drawn to looked like a cat, and he was playing the most gigantic drum set I'd ever seen. I stood for the next two hours in absolute awe. I couldn't believe what I was hearing and seeing. It was amazing. Toward the end of the show, the cat and his drums began to lift into the air. This is when my very first frozen moment happened. As the drum riser was about to reach its peak at about 30 feet in the air, with the cat behind the drums banging and hundreds of fireworks exploding all around the arena, everything came to an abrupt halt. I didn't know what was happening. But all of a sudden, I felt as if I was the only person in the arena. My breathing was slow. And as a chill went through my body, I wasn't scared. Though instead, as an easy calm took over me, I looked around and saw a crowd in awe at what was happening on stage. They looked at this superhero band and cheered them on and loved them beyond belief. My eyes were focused on the cat and his massive drum set high in the air. There was something so magical about the sound of the drums. With the cat behind the monstrous drum kit, it looked like he was almost piloting a great spacecraft as it lifted off into the air. Right then, during that frozen moment, I knew that my life would never be the same. Some way, somehow, that was what I had to do for the rest of my life. I don't even fully recall leaving Madison Square Garden that night. I was in a daze the whole way home. 
My mind was racing with images and sounds that I was still trying to fully process and comprehend. As soon as we got back to our house in Brooklyn on East 38th Street, I asked my brother Danny if he had any Kiss albums. I don't recall the exact moment or how or when, but he gave me his copy of Kiss Double Platinum. It was the greatest hits package that had been released a year earlier. It was magical looking. It was like holding a real platinum album, or so I thought at the time. The double gatefold album was made out of some sort of mylar mirror finish. It had the words double platinum in bright red letters on the front, and the word kiss was in a mirror-type finish, slightly raised off the background. The kiss logo looked almost camouflaged on the cover. It was hypnotizing. Once opened, the double gatefold album was even more incredible on the inside. It had the four KISS members' faces along the top, Gene, Paul, Peter, and Ace. Underneath each face were the song titles written in black. I didn't really know any of the songs yet, but I did remember a few titles from the concert. The two that really stuck out to me were Detroit Rock City and Love Gun. I immediately ran to the living room and put those songs on first. I blasted song after song and began reenacting the moves each KISS member was doing on the stage that night. When it came time to do my impression of guitarist Ace Freely, I decided it was a good idea to stand on the back of my couch and jump off, attempting to land like Ace did at the concert, on his knees while leaning all the way back. This brilliant move fractured my hip. Thankfully, it was a little stress fracture and didn't require the typical half-body cast to fix. I convinced my mom to let me take the living room record player into my bedroom while I was healing. Over the next few weeks, I stayed in there day and night listening to this amazing, mind-blowing music. I had the whole record memorized very quickly. I would hold and examine every inch of the album, reading every little liner note written on it. I wanted to know every detail I could about the band. After my hip was finally healed, I noticed that because I had been holding and handling the album so much, it was starting to look terrible. Smudges from my fingerprints were starting to take away the magical glow it had when I first opened it. I thought to myself, oh my god, what do I do? The answer hit me pretty quick. Go ask my mom. She knows how to clean everything. I ran to my mom who was of course in the kitchen cooking. When I was a kid, I ran everywhere. I never walked. Why would I waste time walking when I could run and get there faster? I showed her the album with all the smudges. Without hesitation, she reached under the sink with one hand while stirring a large pot of sauce on the stove with the other. She pulled out a bottle with some sort of blue liquid in it. I asked her what it was and she said, just spray it on the album and it'll wipe all the smudges away. I had the solution. I grabbed a Scott towel in my house, we called all paper towels Scott Towels for some reason. I think it was the name of a popular brand of paper towels at the time. Still to this day, I refer to all paper towels as Scott. Anyway, I grabbed a Scott towel and I ran back to my room with the strange blue liquid. Once back in my room, I noticed that the album was still playing and I can hear the song Hotter Than Hell. I sat next to the record player and sprayed the blue liquid all over the cover of my most prized possession. As I let the liquid set in, I looked once more at the bottle. It said, Windex Window Cleaner. Sounded right to me. 
After all, this double platinum album was way shinier than any window. Once the liquid sat for a few moments, I began to wipe it away using my Scott towel. After a few wipes, I held my baby up and it looked as good as new. I was elated with joy. I continued this routine every single day for about two months or when anyone happened to touch it or leave their dirty, nasty fingerprints on it. After a while, I started to notice that the red writing on the cover looked a little duller. The same was happening to the black song title lettering on the inside. I also came to the harsh reality that the album wasn't actually made out of platinum after all. It was just plain old cardboard that was now waterlogged and started to warp from all my Windex applications. After all these years, I still have my completely faded, no lettering to be seen, waterlogged version of Kiss's Double Platinum. And I still love it. Christmas 1979 was next, and it was pretty easy for me to pick out what I wanted for Christmas that year. The only thing on my mind was a set of drums. There was no question about what instrument I was going to get. When Peter Chris's drum set rose into the air, all other instruments looked lame. So that Christmas, five months after I attended the KISS concert at Madison Square Garden, I received my very first drum set. I was only five years old. The drums were just a small little kid set, but I knew if I was ever going to be like Peter, I had to start somewhere. It was a silver five-piece set which included a bass drum, snare, two toms, and a floor tom. The first time I sat down behind the kit that Christmas morning, I remember looking down and seeing the bass drum foot pedal. I thought to myself, what the hell is that for? I had no idea you had to play the drums with your feet too. I knew right then that this was going to be a lot harder than I thought. I remember the pedal being a sort of thin plastic that I could never really hit hard enough to get a good thump. People say that today I'm an extremely loud drummer, and maybe that's why. I used to stomp on that little plastic pedal as hard as I could about a thousand times a day back then. I didn't let the new obstacle of using my feet damper the excitement that I was feeling. It's funny, even at five years old, I knew that I had to work hard and practice and be disciplined if I ever wanted to play as well as Peter Chris and maybe be in Kiss one day. I'm not sure most five-year-olds think like that or have that kind of game plan for the rest of their lives, but I definitely did. 